Hello, my name is Dave Graney. I am an underworld musician of many years standing. I'm here to ask you to tune in to my fellow traveller, my comrade, Radio Caram. You're listening to Rowan Pratt Method, where we talk all things fitness, mindset, well-being, performance, and lifestyle design so that you can live a high-performance life. On today's episode, we have Leighton Frisk, who is a myotherapist and Olympic lifting coach. Welcome to the show, Leighton. Thank you very much. That's a very well-versed intro. Yeah, well, we try to cover all bases because the general idea is to bridge the gap between well-being and performance because I think it's often missed. So many people focus purely on performance or purely on well-being, and I think- a high performance life you need to sort of encompass both aspects you have to have a blend of them 100 percent. and yep. like i take it for me in the past from a combat sports background i was very much extreme bigger stronger faster more powerful mm-hmm. and well-being often suffers but where's the balance exactly that's mm-hmm. the fun part this is what this is all about yeah so tell us what is the difference between myotherapy and say a conventional physiotherapist or chiropractor Mm, it depends mostly on the therapist, I think, to be honest, rather than what the what the piece of paper they have hanging on their wall is. Um, I, I've, I know chiropractors who treat very similar to me as a myo, and then I know chiropractors who treat completely the opposite to me. And same thing for physio, chiro, osteo. The biggest difference is when you first leave uni. So the skill skill set is different when you leave uni. After five, 10 years in, um, in the field, you sort of work out you work out the best ways for you to treat your clientele. So you'll end up getting a a not specific clientele, but you sort of get a, you narrow them down a little bit. So my clientele are usually quite fit and active. Um, I do have, you know, quite a few elderly clients and things like that as well. But as a general rule, most of my clients are very fit and active. So I have to work out what is the best way to go about treating them and getting them back to whatever they want to do. Fantastic. So you are, it's pretty much improving their performance if they're an athlete yes. or they're engaging in some sort of recreational activity yeah well even you know gardening on the weekends if yep. 85 year old doris wants to do three hours of gardening and she can only do 30 minutes she's not going to be stoked with her life <laughs> i want to get her back to that that's that's her level of performance because performance is individual Definitely. it's all yeah it's all relative to the person what are your thoughts on the performance and potential sort of fluid from day to day in what regards? In regards to, we had someone that came on recently that was discussing that on a particular day, you might be capable of doing, you know, getting your one repetition of max mm-hmm. compared to another day <clears> where <throat> maybe you didn't quite have the best sleep or your nutrition wasn't yeah. on point, your stress was higher. Is it a bit fluid? It's quite fluid and it's it's very, very different. Elite level athletes can sort of pick a day or a few days in the year where they know they're going to be at 110%. Most of the time, the average person doesn't push themselves anywhere near enough to actually work that out, but their training programs are dialed completely to, to tailor to that. So, you, you know, you could have uh, poor nutrition, poor sleep, high stress. You could have, you know, flunked an exam the night before the day before and you're, you're in a bad mood. There's a thousand and one different things that go into performance as a whole. You, again, that's where you're coming into it as well. Like it's, it's all encompassing. You have to make sure that everything is as close to dialed as possible for what you want to execute in your life. Definitely. So in terms of that, I mentioned that you're an Olympic lifting coach. Obviously, yep. you have specific meets you'd be training for to perform on those particular days. How do you periodize your training leading up to that? Generally speaking, the, the easiest way to describe it is you attack the weaknesses and you keep the strengths there. So the first, I usually do 12-week blocks, 10 to 12-week blocks. Um, the first four weeks are usually a volume block to get you prepared for the heavier weights later on in the in the training block. Um, there's not a whole lot, there's there's virtually no singles done on that in that four-week period. It's just volume accumulation, getting your body ready for the heavier weights, more volume in total. 
and then the middle block the next three to four weeks we start to to taper that a little bit we go more to to triples and doubles and singles um we keep the keep the strength lifts like the um, front squat back squat snatch pull clean pull they're still pretty high um high volume and then in the last three three ish weeks we start to go to doubles and singles for the snatch and the clean and jerk make sure that they're all really well dialed um you throw in throw in a few of the um sort of portion type lifts to to strengthen up whatever the weaknesses are for the individuals so it might be a hang clean if they're if their pulls aren't um, strong enough if they're not finishing the pull or something like that for example and then in the last week you really don't train per se for the last five days you can come into the gym and move but with a very very light barbell the heaviest thing that i let the lifters do for the last maximum four days is like their second warm-up attempt so maybe 50, 60 kilos for, for some of the guys who are lifting bigger weights, but it's really not much. It's just making sure that your body's moving properly so that you can actually taper it properly. It, it gives your body a chance to recover from the volume that you've, that you've accumulated because like you asked before, you know, the performance fluctuating from day to day, that that's heavily impacted by the volume that you've got in your body at that time, whatever, whatever period you are in that, in that block. I find volume is such an interesting topic because so many people out there are following bodybuilder type programs or whatever but they're not taking into account the other stresses in their lives like you mentioned if they had poor sleep or they found an exam or something and obviously there's eustress and distress but Mm -hmm. there's it can impose probably be worse and their performance will suffer obviously some form of training will help but would you recommend tapering off the volume if you are in a stressful state absolutely yeah definitely i ask the first thing i ask my members every time they walk into the gym how are you feeling and it's not so much the the words that come out of their mouth it's the reaction it's the body language it's the way they're holding themselves um how they're getting changed like i watch everything with all the members to work out how they're really feeling on the day because they're always going to say yeah feeling great coach feeling great let's go for one rms every day yeah it's just not going to happen so you can look at them and you get a good eye for what what you're looking for as far as you know dips in performance it might just be the fact that their shoulders are slumped a little bit they just look a little bit tired you can see it and when you know people you can see that sort of thing too with your friends and all the rest of it you're just not going heavy on that day you drop off you back off or you need a rest week or not a rest week a deload week which i do factor those in but that's that's on an individual basis so the team will always keep training but individuals will do a deload week which is somewhere between five and seven days depending on how how heavy they're usually going. The heavier they're going, the more deloads, the, the more days they need of a deload. Yeah. And it just allows them to recover properly so that they can actually get the most out of their performance. So what would be the warning signs that would sort of suggest that someone might need a deload week? Um, for Olympic lifting, you, you really want to push the buck as much as you can with training. So it's quite the, the telltale signs are actually quite funny. They start getting very cranky, I suppose. <laughs> they walk in, they're angry, they start back chatting, they... they they're, they're little smart asses a lot of the time they start not sleeping as well so their sleep's impacted their moods are not as consistent um yeah there's a lot of things and most of the time they just hate the barbell <laughs> so then it's immediate deload straight away yeah yeah that happened a week ago for my guys or for three of them okay yeah they just, they just started cracking it and how do they, they take that when you suggest that they might need a deload week uh, the, f- the first reaction and the correct reaction generally is they're angry about it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sort of indicates to me that we've pushed it as far as we can. And when I say deload, they go, no, I don't want to deload. It's like, good. 
now you're going to deload because you're going to want to get you, you're going to want to be chomping at the bit by the time I let you go heavy again you know in five to seven days so the the really big indicator is a a performance drop they'll start to miss lifts that they really shouldn't be missing like warm-up lifts and that sort of thing they start to back chat a lot they get cranky at the bar if they miss it they're just not themselves anymore so it's an immediate deload they get shitty at that and then I say no you're definitely doing it and then five minutes later they're like okay I definitely need a deload the body's asking for it it's crying out for it i think olympic lifting and certain power sports really have that set in stone and they sort of manage it quite well Mm -hmm. because with combat sports the focus is generally high performance all the time and you can't be at maximum capacity all the time personally i know whenever i pushed the envelope when i was younger and often with a calorie deficit at the same time i'd increase Mm. training four weeks i'd be great by fifth week i'm flat and I'd be pretty much burnt out. Performance would suffer. And that's mm-hmm. really important, crucially, when you're going for a fight or something like that. Absolutely. So I think it's a bit of advice that everyone can sort of take over. Yep. So for recreational lifters out there that are, are training at home, what do you think an adequate volume would be? Because obviously there's bro splits, there's so many different things. Mm. What would you suggest? If you're not under a coach, stay within, stay within your capacity for at least a while take a year to build up the volume um, and do it slowly if you don't have a coach you have to do everything a lot more slowly because you don't have an external set of eyes on you to look out for those telltale things Um, I coach myself but I also have other people in the gym watching out for me as well so there's about three people in the gym that I trust to to call me on a deload week so if they tell me I need a deload I won't question it I won't get angry. I won't get upset. I'll just go, okay, deload week immediately. They're seeing something that I'm not because I can't see everything from me. Like I won't be able to see the little nuances of my lifting and that sort of stuff. So I, you have to rely on other people. If you're doing it yourself, take it back a half a step and just spend more time there. You, you'll still get the same results. It's just not going to come as quickly. But that's the trade-off that you that you have when you don't have a coach. It'd be the same with any sport. I mean, if you if you want to be a track runner, you can do that, but you're not going to be Usain Bolt in three weeks. It, mm. It's just not going to happen. So you just need to be more. You need to be more cautious of it, because the chances are, it's much more likely that you're just going to end up hating the sport than getting an injury. Weightlifting is a very, very safe sport as a as a whole when you look at the statistics, but you'll end up hating the sport. So what's the point in pushing that hard for six months to just not ever do it again? It's a waste of six months. You might as well take it a little bit slower and still keep getting progress and still love the sport, whatever that sport may be. Well, I guess consistency is a major factor that comes into mm. play because a lot of yeah. people go hard all the time. And as you said, they burn out. They just they learn to hate it and yeah. they just stop completely. Probably the same thing with the crash diets people follow where they go Ooh, extreme, yeah. low calorie deficit, high volume training sessions, and they mm-hmm. stop completely. And it's a bit of a yo-yo. They stop yeah. and start all the time. Yeah, yeah, pretty much exactly that. Um, everything in moderation i mean i i coach individuals i don't coach robots like everyone has their own shit going on that everyone has their own daily stresses with mortgages and everything like that all of that comes into play your body doesn't distinguish between stress it's just stress and it has to recover from it at some point the only way to recover from it realistically that or the two best ways are food and sleep mm-hmm. everything else is supplementary everything else you're looking at a one percent it's, it's not worth loading up on supplements and that sort of stuff to try to get yourself through that plateau. They just don't do that much. You, you're better off getting good quality sleep, good quality nutrition, making sure that you've got those dialed, 
as less stress in your life as you can possibly manage. However you do that is you know, completely individual. Some people like to have a lavender bath with a glass of wine. Perfectly fine if that's what works for you. Some people like to meditate on the beach. It doesn't matter what it is. As long as it works for you, perfectly fine. Stress management strategies are so important and so many people have maladaptive coping strategies for life. Mm. It, it might be more than yeah. one glass of wine or it could be some other negative coping strategy that they use. Yeah. So you sort of delved into the lavender bath, bit of meditation. Mm. What do you get your lifters to implement in their life or is it on the individual? Or? Individual level. Everything is on the individual level. Um, I, I try not to... I try to stay away from the, and it's not cookie cutter, but the technical cookie cutter type approach as much as possible. Um, one, you get more buy-in because people know that you actually genuinely care because you're asking more questions about their life. So they're going to actually work a lot harder and they get better results from that. But you can be a lot more specific with the individual as well. So you, you get better results from that person based on what you can implement in their training uh, and, and nutrition and rest periods and all that sort of stuff. Like I've got a guy who's very, very strong, but he's extremely busy. He works like a sled dog. It's unbelievable the hours that he puts in and it's quite a physical job. Um, so he just does what he can on that particular day. So I'm, like yesterday, he's in the middle of a deload week. Um, it was day four, four or five of his deload week yesterday. And he was doing back squats and he was staying really light. He's a very strong guy. He's very, very tall. And he asked me if he could push it a little bit. And I said, today on the deload, he said, yeah, I feel pretty good. I said, okay, how are the knees feeling? Because that's another one. Your tendons get a little bit sore and that sort of thing sometimes. And he said, yeah, no, they feel really good. I said, okay, are you just going to go for a single? He said, yeah, I'll push a heavy single. I haven't done it for probably two years. I said, all right, go for it. He ended up hitting a 180 kilo back squat. He's been doing sets of three at like 130. Yeah. And he just pulled that 180 out of nowhere. And it, it felt good for him and it looked really good. So that's fine. No, no, nothing wrong with that. It's not... He'll be he'll be tired today neurologically, but he's not going to be that sore because it's only one rep, one heavy rep. Um, he did 160 before that, but he's more than capable of doing that. That looked really fast. So again, all individual. There's a lot of leeway that you can have as long as as long as you build up the trust between the coach and the the athlete as well. Sometimes I let the athletes pick their numbers. Sometimes I step in and go, no, I'm picking the numbers for you. It purely depends on the day and how they're lifting, but they have to have a. Yeah, they have to be lifting for a little while for them to be able to, you know, warrant picking their own numbers and that sort of thing. To gauge yeah. it. Yeah. So in terms of the nervous system, how much involvement is the nervous system compared to, say, muscle mass in when it comes to Olympic lifting? Um, they're, they're very, very similar. Um, Olympic, so that there's the... There's the notion that strength is a skill, which is very, very true. That It's basically how many muscle fibers you can get to contract at the same time. That's what your strength is. Mm. So you don't have to be super big to be very, very strong. Um, most of the Olympic lifters who are, I think nearly all of them who are under in the under 73 kilo class, they're all stronger than me. And I'm 106, 107 kilos. Their, their skill level is obviously way higher than mine. So it's a, it's a neurological thing. You're training your nervous system and your body as well. So there's rep ranges that sort of lend themselves a little bit more to hypertrophy or mass. There's, a, there's ones that lend themselves a little bit more to, to strength, but the, it's all very, very fluid. And again, that's a very individual thing. So we're learning that more and more. We used to think, you know, the higher rep stuff was for hypertrophy. The lower rep stuff was for power. It doesn't really work like that. That's very much like that, that whole spectrum thing. It, it depends on the person. So I personally like rep ranges for, for the strength lifts, like 
squats and things like that at less than five. I, I don't like doing anything more than five reps. It, it just, it doesn't work as well for my body. I end up too tired. I build up too much fatigue and I just can't recover from it because I'm working a lot too. Again, there's a trade-off there. Um, so yeah, it, it really depends on, on the person. It's a hard one to answer that one. Mm. Well, yeah. we had a chat before we started about actually going through a bit of a, a bulking phase at the moment, going up mm. the weight division. So with that zero to five or one to five rep range, mm. is that enough for hypertrophy? Uh, it is as long as you eat enough. Yeah. So the, the hard part for me is eating enough food. I'm, like I said to you before, I'm stuffing myself full like a Farquhar duck at the moment. I, I eat until I feel sick and that's every day. It's, um, sounds really good, but it's actually, it, it gets very uncomfortable. It's a chore, isn't it? When you it, have to hit that calorie target. It's a chore. Yeah. There, there's a lot of time spent chewing for the day and you have to, the, the, again, there's a trade off. I don't have the time for the, uh, the time through the day or the stomach capacity to eat strictly very healthy food so i've worked out um meals that i can get in that don't take up a whole heap of space in my stomach but are really high in calories yeah like one of my meals most days will be a whole tub of um, spinach dip with a uh what do you call it a turkish bread roll and that's okay. about 1200 calories really yeah in a turkish bread roll and a tub of spinach dip. tub of spinach dip because it's all fat yeah, there's virtually no protein, but I just have to supplement that with protein shakes. Yeah, um, as long as I'm getting enough protein in and I'm eating enough food, the body will grow. It just depends on where your body wants to put it, whether it's adipose tissue or fat tissue or muscle mass, muscle mass, because you've given it a stimulus to adapt to. Yeah, I know it's very difficult for people to hit a high calorie target eating whole mm-hmm. foods and healthy foods. It's near impossible. Very, very difficult. I know I tried clean eating at one point and I was trying to just aim for something, 3000 calories, for example. Mm-hmm. After three meals, I was lucky to make 1500. Yeah. And they were big meals, like mm-hmm. chicken breast, everything else, rise the work. So then I'm like, okay, yeah. what are we gonna do? Similar, focaccia, Turkish bread, mm-hmm. chuck a steak in it, have yeah. some avocado and things to try and get a thousand or 1200 calories with a meal. It's the yeah. only way that I could hit those targets. Yeah. <laughs> Good quality food, stuff that grows in the ground, flies in the sky, walks on the ground or swims in the ocean. It doesn't really have that many calories in it unless you're looking at fat. Fat does. Fat's got plenty. And that's that's where I get the, you know, the little cheap meals in air quotes for. It, it's it's the only way that I can get the, the calories in to warrant my body putting on mass. Yep. It's, just, it's very, very difficult to do. Very hard to do. But so is losing weight. Like losing weight is hard. Putting on weight is hard. Getting anywhere is hard. Changing is hard. Staying staying the same is a piece of cake. You just, you don't have to do anything. It, it's really easy. Same thing with strength levels. To maintain your strength levels, piece of cake. You do five moderate working sets a week and that's usually enough, roughly, give or take. Five to Five to nine if you really want to push it a little bit, but that's all you really need to do. It doesn't take much. And that'd hold you at about 95% of your capacity. So with the deload weeks, the first thing that people think when I say deload week is they're going to get weaker because they're not lifting heavy weight. It's not the case at all. You'll maintain your strength quite well as long as you're doing a little bit of moderate work. And that that's really all you need. I have this discussion with a lot of my clients. So they might do a phase where hypothetically they're training four days per week on mm. a two-day split. Then at the end something happens in life. They get busy with work, they have to go away, and we talk about what can we do to maintain your results as opposed to stopping completely and then uh, you know, giving it a break for a couple of months. Two days a week, hitting each muscle group five times or five mm-hmm. sets is enough for maintenance. Yep, and the less sets that you do, the, the harder you have to work to maintain it. It's, it's that seesaw type effect. If you're, if you're doing 25 sets per muscle group, 
you don't really have to, I mean, you, you have to put in effort, obviously, but it doesn't have to be, you know, eye bulging, you know, blood nose inducing type stress. If you're doing five sets a week per muscle group, you just have to make sure that you're going really hard on those sets and that's it. Like you can still get great results. There's many ways to skin a cat. There's heaps and heaps of different methods out there that work and they all work most of the time unless it's really left field. But apart from that, most of them work. It's just what works best for you and make sure making sure that you tailor it to, to your lifestyle. So in terms of managing stress, obviously you have a business, you have your high training threshold because you have competition coming up. <laughs> the chore of having to eat as many calories as you do mm-hmm. and obviously working with clients building rapport establishing a connection with people it is draining so how do you manage your stressful state i actually i don't think i get that much stress from the work itself i i love what i do i get up and i, I like going to work i can still count on one hand the amount of times over the last 11 years that i've woken up and gone oh i don't want to go to work today which is an awesome thing to be able to say um, I'm, I'm very lucky in that, or not lucky. I've, I've built that around me. I did it for that, for, for the reason that I want to love going to work. I don't want to spend eight hours doing something that I don't like. So I don't think I get that much stress from it. I love it. I, I get a lot out of it. It's, it's more of a stress relief for me. I get to talk to cool people all day long. That's, that's how I met you in the clinic. Um, you know, in the, in the gym, I get to watch people making themselves better every day. It's awesome. It's a great way to make money. Um, the stress comes from the training mostly is the stress. Um, but you use that as a stimulus for growth and for your performance. Absolutely, but it's still a stress at yeah. the same time. So there, hence the deload weeks. There's there's times where I've walked in the gym. I, I just had a day. I finished my deload week yesterday because I walked in the gym and I cracked it because I was missing lifts that were like 60% of my max of the full lifts of snatch and clean and jerk. And they were just really silly mistakes. And I cracked it and I said, all right, it's definitely time for a deload now. And that was like, it it was the stress accumulation from the actual training that got me. Um, Sleep, I've got that pretty well dialed. My diet is mostly very, very good. I get a lot of protein in, I get a lot of food in, in general. Um, I drink a lot of water. I drink cordial mostly, but I drink a lot of water. Uh, I can I can justify having a little bit of sugar in my diet because I don't get it anywhere else. Um, relationships great. Um, I've got a six year old who's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a whole heap of stress in my life right now. There, there's a few other things, you know, personal things in the background, but I think I deal with them pretty well to be honest. Especially now, like you know, things that go on for a long time you learn how to deal with them and just different in different ways for the most productive outcome i think you've just described something that i'm very passionate about and it's Mm -hmm. a bit of a quote if you don't design your life someone else will design it for you and Mm -hmm. it sounds like you've literally designed your life how you want to live every waking moment to a degree yeah absolutely i was like that as a kid as well i was a very difficult kid to teach in high school i don't like authority for authority's sake um, I don't like being told what to do. I don't mind if I'm if I'm asked to do something. The answer is probably going to be yes. But if you say do this, I'm going to dig my heels and go ah no thank you. Um, so I I had uh, my first first clinic job that I had out of uni. I had a boss who was a very very good therapist, um, and it was just a bit of an overbearing like micromanaging type situation. I didn't like it, so I quit and found another job within 20 minutes, full time job. That one there, she did not micromanage me at all. She was a friend of mine and she treated, it was her business, but she treated me like a business partner. I had free reign to do everything I wanted and I never would have left there. I'd still be working there now if I didn't move to Queensland um, years ago and have a gym up there. 
I'd still be there because I value freedom over everything. I want to be able to do what I want to do, as you know, within reason, obviously. But yeah, I wanted to be able to de- design my life, and if someone gets in the way of that, I'm out. So yeah, freedom is one of my highest values, and mm-hmm. I'm fortunate enough to have done something very similar, where all the things that I generally do, I would do anyway. I'm yep. generally having conversation with someone that I enjoy speaking to, mm-hmm. and if I wasn't getting paid for it, I still would. And I enjoy pretty much most things that I do. I'm very fortunate, similar to yourself. Yeah. It's a good situation. It is, isn't <laughs> it? There's so many people out there that trade off. Obviously, you have to get paid for your time, so you have to make an income. Mm-hmm. But they sacrifice what they really want and they you know, they live for the weekends or for that one holiday that yeah. they get once a year or something. And I think that would be a miserable yeah. existence. Well, I mean, I work nearly every public holiday because, they don't. number one, they don't mean anything to me and I like working. Yeah. Like it, it's, and it's not – I'm not addicted to the work per se. I like, I like a good balance, but – why should I just sit at home and twiddle my thumbs if I haven't got anything organized? I, I just don't see the point in that. It's a it's a really good situation to be in to be able to do that. It, it's just nice. It's really nice. It's good. And I think it, it it gives you a lot less stress as well. Or you build up a lot less stress in your life because you like everything that you're doing. How can you be stressed doing things that you like? Yeah. Apart from the physical stress that builds up and accumulates, that's fair enough. But the mental side of things... I've never quite understood why people would willingly stay in a job that they hate for Mm -hmm. eight hours a day, five days a week, just to live for the weekends and then repeat that process week after week, month after month, year after year. Obviously there's, there's money constraints and mortgages and bills and all the rest of it. That's all good and well, but work out, work out what you love and then find a way to monetize that. There's always ways to monetize that, especially now there's no restrictions that we've got, especially here in Australia. Have a look at the young kids coming through. They're they're just a bunch of entrepreneurs. They don't want to work for anyone. They'll work for themselves, and they're gonna they're gonna kick goals. Have you heard of the term ikigai? Ikigai. Ikigai. So it's a Japanese philosophy, which is pretty yes. much yeah you have yes, yes I so have yeah find out what you're good at, what you love doing, what does the world need, and what do you get paid for. So you yeah. can monetize anything that you are passionate about. Yeah, and there's I that perfect balance. Isn't it, it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's very um, it's a very interesting concept, and yeah. I think younger people, younger generations, are really embracing that now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They're I think they're lucky, or they're very very lucky in a way as to when they were born, because we've now got the technology to do things like the internet has revolutionized everything. We didn't, I mean, we're sitting here talking to, you know, however many people that are going to be listening through the internet. We didn't have this opportunity when we were kids. This did not exist. They tuned into the radio, but unless you're a radio presenter, not going to happen. Mm. So they've just, they've got a whole heap of opportunities that they're really doubling down on, which is cool to see. So the only thing that I, I love the internet, but there's so many perspectives out there and then people can get paralysis by analysis. Mm. It's a bit of an issue, particularly for recreational athletes that just want to do conventional training, build some muscular yeah. hypertrophy, lose a bit of body fat. Where do they start? Like, what would you suggest? Start with building a reasonable skill base. As long as it's safe, it's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know, you're not going to be Eddie Hall and you don't need to be. You certainly don't need to be to enjoy it. Um a good example, last night, one of my lifters, he came in and he's very, very focused on getting the technique of everything right, which makes him very easy to coach for the most part. Sometimes he just needs a big kick up the bum and say, you just need to go. Stop thinking and go. Because I had that exact same conversation with him yesterday. It's paralysis by analysis. And he was staying really light, which is great. And I just said to him, I'm, I'm sick of you missing these lifts. You shouldn't be missing them. You're overthinking everything. And he told me what he was thinking about. He's trying to think about 15 different cues all at once and it doesn't work. So I said to him, scrap everything, trust your body. 
you've done enough reps to, to be perfectly safe. I just want you to show me aggression. That's all. Just give me some aggression and everything will sort itself out. And he looked at me like I was a lunatic. And then he did it and he made a really good lift. And then he made the second one and the third and the fourth and the fifth. And then he ended up hitting four PBs in a row. He ended up getting a 15 kilo PB last night just because there, it was pure paralysis by analysis. So we had the movement patterns everything. down pat first though, I imagine. Uh, not down pat, but good enough. Okay. Definitely good enough. It looks good. It's not perfect. He's only been doing Olympic lifting for three months or so, Not maybe not even, but it's more than safe. I mean, he's not he's not lifting weights like 300 kilos. It, he's, he was doing snatches last night and he was staying at 40 kilos and he kept failing at 40. The problem with staying too light is that you, you can get away with really crappy technique yeah. with really light weights and you won't get much feedback from it. Sometimes you need to just put some more weight on the bar to get more feedback so you can adjust. Um, I don't, I've got no issue with um, new, new members doing that either. They need to work out where their limits are. As long as it's safe, that's the one rule that I've got in the gym. As long as you're safe, it's okay. You just need to clarify it with me first. So yeah, I, I gave them a bit of a kick up the bum. And then there's other clients who they just want to go for one RMs every day they walk into the gym. That's me. I have to hold myself back every day because that's all I want to do. But it doesn't work. You know, that's not... That's, that's not intelligent training. It's fun training, but it's definitely not intelligent and you will lose the love of the sport pretty quickly. So, yeah. Well, I think we've all been there with thrashing ourselves with training, trying to hit PBs all the time. Yeah. So how long does it take for the nervous system to recover? Because your yeah, training load's pretty high. Yeah, that depends on the lift. Uh, depends on the lift, depends on the person, depends on their, um, their training history. For something like a one RM deadlift for me, neurologically, it takes me a week to recover. I've got no speed for about a week afterwards, at least five days. Um, that's one of the reasons why I, I don't deadlift. Uh, it, it just doesn't lend itself well for my training for Olympic lifting. My, my back is very, very strong. My hamstrings are strong. Everything is strong. I don't need to push that. There's, I'm not gonna get any bigger lifts from doing a deadlift. For a heavy back squat, I can be pretty much completely recovered in about, Two and a half, three days. It doesn't take me very long to recover from that one. Um, so front, what would you do on those similar. three days in between? Just take the, the weight back a little bit with okay. the other stuff. I'd, I'd pull back a bit of the speed work as well. Um, it just gets a little bit dangerous. Uh, that was the last time I hurt my back and I didn't... I'd, it was about 14 months ago, 15 months ago now. Um, I pulled a heavy deadlift, got a big PB, felt really good. Next day, woke up feeling perfectly fine. No sore. I wasn't really sore. I was tired, but I wasn't sore. And um, I started doing some speed snatches, and that's a big no-no. You don't do speed work when you're neurologically fatigued like that. And my lower back cramped. I had, it was it just came out of the blue, and I was literally lifting 60 kilos, which is less than half of my PB. So it's, it was just, and I stayed at that. That was all I was doing, and it just locked up on me, and I couldn't walk properly for three days. I did, it wasn't an injury. It was just my body went, absolutely not. You need to learn your lesson. You're not doing that again. Put the brakes on for you. Put the brakes on. Yeah. So in terms of your work, how long have you been a myotherapist for? 11 years now. Okay. And I imagine you were heavily involved with weight training and things before that. Yeah, I've been strength training in some degree since I was about 15, 16. Um, back then, most of it was just, well, pretty much all of it was just bicep and bench press. Yeah. You know, the the same muscles. stuff that, yeah, same stuff that everyone does. Um, then I went into more sort of, sort of air quotes, functional training before CrossFit was around, um, purely because I just liked it. It was like 
boot camp, but boot camp at heavier weight. So it was like CrossFit type stuff. Then CrossFit came out. I started treating a couple of um, couple of the best CrossFitters in Australia. They convinced me to try it. Tried it, loved it. Started doing that. That was the first time I fell in a heap. It, it really fell in a heap. I didn't. There was no break periods. It was just go, go, go. It was all gas, no breaks, five days a week minimum. And then your body just goes, you're not doing this anymore. I can't yeah. do it. So yeah, at some point, you, either you put the brakes on or your body will. And it's much better if you're if you're pumping the brakes a little bit. I think we all get that lesson at some point. Yeah. So out of curiosity, how did obviously your second job being, or your job being a myotherapist, how did that impact your training philosophies and how you handle training uh, the clients and yourself? Substantially. Like obviously knowing, knowing a lot more than the average person about the physiology of the body, it it gives you a really good indication. It gives you like a blueprint as to, to how your training should be structured to start with. Um, and then you just sort of fine tune on top of that. So it, it stops you from making really bad decisions more than anything. It's just like that safety net, I suppose, mentally. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way I could describe it. And same thing for the clients as well, for the members um, that I've got in the gym, you know, looking at them, seeing the, you know, telltale signs of fatigue and that type of stuff. You can pull the pin a little bit earlier so that you just avoid the injuries to begin with. Even though weightlifting is a very safe sport in general, you know, there's obviously a risk of injury, just like there's a risk of injury from sitting on the couch and eating cupcakes all day long. <laughs> I much prefer my way of doing things, yeah. but... Yeah, it, it just gives you a, a much better indication of when to push, when to hold back, when to just maintain where you're sitting at. Okay. So how long has your gym been in operation for? Two years. Well, half of that time. With, with COVID? Yeah. With yeah. So yeah. we've touched on this in a couple of other episodes because the gym is a safe haven for most people. They have yeah. a community there. It's it's a way for them to manage life and mental health stresses and things like that. Mm-hmm. How do you think the average lifter was coping during lockdowns? Mm, initially there was the uh, look zoom was a great option it was much better to have the lockdowns now versus 15 years ago when we didn't have that but people got sick of it pretty quick it was a bit of a novelty to begin with and everyone got around it and they all trained really well and then one by one they started dropping off and obviously there was other other reasons for that as well money finances was the big one people getting laid off or not having work and all the rest of it still having to pay mortgage trying to find money from somewhere you know things had to go and the gym was one of them which was i completely understood that um but yeah it was it was difficult the i had i had people calling me in tears and that was that was a hard thing to to do that was it was awful um, I'd, I'd, when we were in the lockdowns, every time my phone would ring, I'd feel sick because I knew what the conversation was going to be. Was I can't? I'm sorry, I really can't. Um, you know, I had mothers bawling their eyes out to me on the phone, saying, "We don't know what we're going to do with our son. We're very, very scared. He won't come out of his room." And these are kids who were super active and all the rest of it. It was, it was rough. It was mm. rough. Since then, we, you know, since we've opened back up, everyone's gotten back in there and it's all gone really well. But yeah, it was a, it was a pretty pretty bleak time wasn't great it was and a lot of people did struggle it was mm. their safe haven had been taken away and their coping strategy was no longer so yeah but a lot of people do invest in home uh, training equipment which was a good thing so yep it's gone up yep but when, when times of hardship gym and training things is often viewed as a luxury as opposed to a necessity unfortunately mm. I think that everyone should be prioritising their health and fitness because it literally improves every other aspect of your life I strongly agree with that. Yep. Um, look, 
it doesn't have to be the gym either. It can, you know, health and fitness. That's a, that's the general concept. That doesn't mean that you have to go to a gym. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously very partial towards a gym. Strength and conditioning can benefit every single human on the planet. That doesn't mean that they have to do it or that they even should do it. If they, if they absolutely hate it, go and ride a bike, go and climb a tree, go and play with your kids on the playground. It doesn't matter what you're doing. As long as you're staying fit and healthy, that, that's all you really need to do. The gym's just a fun way of doing it. It's it's an option there. You know, some people love playing football. Some people love throwing weights around. It, it's all individual basis. But either way, as long as you're staying fit and healthy, all the power to you. I think being active is important. And for longevity, picking something mm. that they enjoy is important. Absolutely, yeah. But in terms of strength training, what are the benefits? Because I know that a lot of studies are proving that even later in life, as you go into the older generations, mm-hmm. maintaining a residual level of strength mm-hmm. and mobility is essential for a quality of life and not only your lifespan, but your health span. Absolutely, yep. I mean, what do you want to be able to do when you're, when you're 85, 90 years old? Because that's sort of what we're realistically looking at as far as age demographic is going to be with our generation in Australia not too, uh, not in the not too distant future, you know, the age just keeps going up and up and up. I want to be fully functional by the time I'm 90. I don't, my, my rule is I don't want to have to rely on anyone. If I need to move the couch, I want to be able to move the couch by myself. I might need a tool for it, but I want to be able to execute that. Um, same thing when you're looking at overall health, like my, my thought process is all around performance. So, you know, performance when you're 95 moving a couch is the same as me throwing a heavy weight overhead. It doesn't, it's not, I don't differentiate those two things. If I want to do it, I want to be able to do it. Um, As far as uh, the health is concerned, you've got bone density. So obviously you've got, you know, bone density issues with, with elderly people, especially elderly women. And that's mainly because they didn't really do any strength training when they were younger. There, there really wasn't female sports around that much. It was minimal. So they had no impact on their body. There was no strength required. That it was all, you know, it, it was a very different world back then. Now you go into a gym and it's like a 50-50 split between men and women. And it's awesome to see because you're just not going to see the levels of osteoporosis anymore. Strength training is a cure for osteoporosis. It's not just a preventative either. I've, well, it wasn't me that I had a, an elderly, well, not so elderly, she was late 60s when she came to start at the gym with me years ago. And she told me that she had advanced osteoporosis and she was scared to walk up and down flights of stairs. That's not a life for someone who's less than 70. I want to be able to sprint and jump up them. So she trained with me for, I think it was about 12 months or so. And when she went to get her, her bone, dens- bone density scan, the doctor, could, he couldn't believe it. He's like, what have you done? Like you your bone density is back. It's actually looking really good. Over how long a period? About 12 months. That's fantastic. Yeah, but it wasn't, um, she wasn't lifting extreme weights or anything like that. It just has to be difficult for you. Again, which is why it's all, you know, strength is relative to the individual. It's all individual basis. But yeah, she got, she effectively got rid of her osteoporosis. So yeah, she had other issues. She had a hip, she had to have a hip surgery. So that took her back afterwards. But you know, as far as the bone density is concerned, she she massively increased that off the rails, which was great to see. Um, you've got foot speed, which is what, th- that's a really good indicator of someone having falls and things like that. Um, I've treated people for it in the, in the clinic and some of the rehab is literally just stepping to the side and that's hard for them, which is horrible to see. You know, you shouldn't, that should never be the case. You should always be able to catch yourself if you fall or if you step off a curb, you should be able to catch yourself before you fall flat on the fa- flat on your face. Um, things like that, just keeping a, just an absolute baseline of, of fitness, strength, mobility, 
you want to be able to sit down on the toilet and get up off the toilet. That's a squat pattern. If you want to pick something up off the ground, that's a deadlift pattern or a hinge pattern. It doesn't have to be heavy weights and it doesn't have to be a barbell or it doesn't have to be dumbbells, but you should be able to do those movements. If you want to pick up, a, if you want to grab a, a bottle of wine off the top shelf because you, you're celebrating your anniversary, you want to go top shelf stuff, it's an overhead press. You need to be able to do those sorts of things. Like it's, it doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't have to be for heaps of reps, but if you want to be able to do that when you're past 70, get going now. I love that you're focused on movement patterns. I do exactly the same thing as opposed mm. to muscle groups specifically. Mm. Now, a lot of people are obsessed with the amount of weight that they're moving. Mm-hmm. I believe that it just needs to be challenging and it is relative to the individual. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the weight that they're moving is a way to measure that in some regard. But yeah. are you, Do you agree with that in terms of challenging yourself? Yes, it, de- it depends on the outcome that they're going for. So bodybuilders are a bit more of an outlier when it comes to that. They sort of have to push the buck a lot more with, with muscle groups. Like that, they train they train muscles. They don't train movement patterns. There's yeah. a very big difference. Um, a good example is I had a client a couple of months or a few months ago now. She was a figure model or a bikini model. And she was doing uh, the lateral delt, uh, lateral raises for the for her delts. She was using five kilos, and I remember this vividly. She's quite a thin person, um, and I just I looked at her and said, "You're about three kilos too heavy." And she said, "What do you mean?" I said, "You're using a movement pattern. You're not training the muscle. You're going yeah. for the mid delt, which is a really weak muscle in that in that range. You need to drop the weight right back so your upper trap stops kicking in because yeah. your body doesn't care." how it does it it's moving something or moving an object from a to b how it achieves that it doesn't care that's what we have to refine as a technique what she was doing was recruiting everything that can do a similar job so she's not even hitting her mid delt really or she was a little bit but not even close to what she thought she was going to and then when i dropped her down to two kilos you know less than half of the weight all of a sudden she's training a mid delt again she yeah. gets better results from less than half the weight. So it depends what the focus was, whether it's it is. engaging muscle to activate hypertrophy or for residual strength gains. Yeah, So and you, you'll get hypertrophy from strength anyway, and you'll get strength from hypertrophy training. They're not, uh, they're not mutually exclusive. There is a blend of them, but if you're going purely for, for hypertrophy, you, you do have to train muscles rather yeah. than movements. And if you're going for strength, you have to train movements rather than muscles. So many people are fixated on, I guess, they associate bodybuilding with the health and fitness industry mm-hmm. compared to movement patterns, being able to move mobile, being healthy in general, be able to run a, a mile or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, it's probably got a lot of negative connotations. It's probably giving people the wrong impression because they associate those physiques with strength yep. and health. Yep. And they don't really understand what they actually put their body through to be able to achieve that physique, and often only for one day within that peak uh, physical performance. Oh, they only look like that for about half an hour. Yeah. That maximum. As soon as they get off stage, they're starting to refeed immediately, start to drink water, have more salt in them so that their body just absorbs all the water so they puff back up again. They, they want to go for the driest, leanest physique possible. There is nothing healthy about that. And that's not a knock on bodybuilding at all. I find them extremely impressive. Their work ethic is second to none. It's unbelievable what they can put themselves through for an extended period of time. However, it's not healthy. There's nothing healthy about it. And the the bodybuilders that I know and that I treat would say exactly the same thing. This is not about health. This is about performance and it's glory. But you've got to be able to to distinguish the two because they're not the same thing at all. And you're right. It it does get looked at as the, you know, the epitome of health and all the rest of it. You look at men's magazine and everyone's just jacked and shredded. I said to you just before we started this, abs are overrated. Mm. 
if you've got a if you're diced to the socks and you've got a you know a glistening six pack you are leaving performance on the table you just can't be at the elite level of performance being that lean it doesn't work like that you you sh- if you're going for performance i think as a general rule roughly 15 to 17% body fat is pretty much optimal um, but then you've got the question of weight classes and stuff like that so that gets a bit muddy but as a general rule for performance as as a whole for lifestyle 15 to 20% body fat for men a little bit higher for women because they just hold a little bit more body fat internally around their organs perfectly healthy there's nothing wrong with that yeah it's funny and you feel better you feel way better your hormone profile's better you sleep better your moods are better you eat better you can deal with more stress in your life you've got more energy everything's just better everything i've had this discussion with people before because they want to be shredded and mm-hmm. probably influenced by these men's magazines and things mm-hmm. online instagram influencers etc but i go you will actually feel better and you sorry if you do do that extreme you're probably going to be horrible, horrible to be around. You're not going mm-hmm. to enjoy your time. Your hormones, your testosterone levels are going to drop. Mm-hmm. Your mood's going to suck. It's it's a big trade-off. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a massive trade-off. And it's like you don't have a balance of lifestyle or health. You've got, you don't have health or a lifestyle. You've got neither of the two, which is why I think abs are overrated. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> Look, it's I, fine if you're a professional and that is yeah. like your job. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. for the average person, it's not necessary. And I think the body image really does need to change and what we consider to be a healthy, fit person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Look, I'm genetically, I'm quite lucky in the way that I don't, like I find it very difficult to put on weight. I have to eat so much food to do that. The trade-off to that is I find it very easy to be lean. It's, I, you know, look good at the beach and all the rest of it. That's all good and well. But then there's trade-offs to those sorts of things as well. Like different body types will will lend themselves to different things. People who put on body fat easier or more easily than the other person will find it a lot easier to put on muscle mass as well because they can just store more energy. It's way easier for them. Um, but I don't think it's necessary to to have that you know glistening six pack chiselled abs and all the rest of it. If you want to have if you want to have abs, go for it. There's nothing wrong with it. But you also have to be aware of the the trade-offs that come with that. Like you, you know. All the all the things that we just described before, your sleep, your hormone profile, your moods, everything like that will take a dive at least a little bit. I mean, if you can maintain 12% body fat and you'll be pretty ripped at 12%, um, you won't be stage ready, but you'll be looking pretty damn good on the beach. And if you're happy with that, go for it. There's nothing wrong with it. Again, individual, but you don't have top level performance of your body. Do you think there's a shift going from aesthetics to more health-based focus now? I don't know if it's a shift or if it's just a new bubble that's opening up. I think it's, I'm not sure. I think it's more of a bubble opening up. Um, I think it's just a separate thing. I think people want to look good naked. Everyone yeah. always wants to look good naked and if there's nothing wrong with that. Tops on or tops off club. Yeah. 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 And there's nothing wrong with that. I've, you know, I've got full respect for people on both sides of that argument. Um, I think, yeah, I'm not sure on that one not sure i think it's a i think it's a good thing that we've got the the other option of just going for the for the general health side of things um it gives options are always good if you want to be shredded and jacked and you want to get up on stage in a in a g-string go for your life if you want to look like lasha telekazi and throw 225 kilos over your head in one shot go for your life if you want to have if you want to be you know 
really, really skinny and be able to run 42Ks in under two hours. Awesome. Like there's options for people. I just think it's opened up another option for people more than anything. Um, I do think there's a, a general consensus that we should be a little bit healthier though. I think that sort of came around with the, with the pandemic. Um, that was one of the good things I saw about that. There was a lot of people getting outside a lot more, walking a lot more, just getting out in the sun, doing those types of things, just getting generally healthier and looking after themselves. The, the whole mental uh, mental health side of things was uh, a big push, which was probably needed, I think. So what are the things outside of your specific training that you sort of implement to improve your performance? Obviously, you mentioned sleep, nutrition. Mm-hmm. What else do you do? Or what else can people at home? Stretching a little bit. I actually don't do a whole lot of stretching, to be honest. As I'm getting older, I probably do need to do a little bit more. Um, I'm 32 now, so that's fairly old for a weightlifter. I mean, it's not old in the big scheme of things at all. I feel fantastic, but the young kids coming through are just so fast under the bar. If I'm competing against them, I just need to be stronger because I need to pull the bar higher to get underneath it. Um, As far as other things that I do, I'm not not 100% sure. I've got my food... Food intake, uh, pretty much as much as I can fit in. I'm rarely in bed after 10 o'clock. It's usually around about 9.30 and I wake up at quarter to seven every day. So I get a lot of sleep, which is great. Um, they're the two biggest bang for buck things. If you're if you're looking at two things to increase your performance, sleep, nutrition, done. That's it. That's all you need to worry about. If you're looking at sort of the 1% things, you do need to look at supplementation. Um, so look at your diet, see where, where the downfalls are, what you're not getting enough of, get your blood work done if that's something that you're, that you're looking at. Um, stress levels, keep them nice and low. I don't do meditation per se, but I do do a lot of things that make me feel very relaxed and that make me very centered. So it's, I suppose, excuse me, I suppose it's technically a meditation of sorts. Um, I like to spend a lot of time down the beach as much as possible, um, walking the dogs, playing with the dogs, um, just things that take out the everyday stresses that you'd be normally thinking about. And then you're just only focusing on one thing at a time. It could be reading. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts um, and a lot of them are about health and performance and that type of thing. So I'm not focused on anything else but that. That's technically a meditation of sorts. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's yeah. something to focus on. And it's aligned with your values as well. And you're upskilling at the same time. I'm sure you yes. hear some interesting things. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'd before I would go and implement them on on my members, I would test them on myself yeah, as well. Self-experimentation yeah. is amazing. Yeah. I actually did something recently where I was focusing on down-regulation at the end of training sessions, just a little okay. bit of breath work. Apparently, yep. it switches, it lowers cortisol levels and gets you into the state of recovery faster. So, okay. obviously, with combat sports athletes, they train pretty high intensity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, it takes them a while for their adrenaline and things to lower after a training session. Mm-hmm. So, I did an experiment and I hadn't been doing any aerobic activity really other than working with clients a little bit but i just randomly did a 4k run after a week of breath work and okay. down regulation i did it at a consistent pace regulating my breath the whole time and i could have kept going it was how was your sleep sleep has been a little bit up and down but it was pretty good i think honestly most of the things in terms of self-care i do prioritize my sleep yeah. so i supplement magnesium i use gaba occasionally and mm-hmm. glycine and other things other neurotransmitters mm-hmm. but my sleep is pretty good, but I know that my performance is heavily impacted. And like we were saying before about how potential or performance is relative and fluid, mm-hmm. if I'm not feeling at my best, I don't push myself. Yeah. And if I need an extra yeah. rest day, I have one. 
Mm-hmm. Like I, compared to in the past, I'd be like, no, today, Tuesday is yeah. back and yeah. biceps. <laughs> I'm training back and biceps and I'm hitting yeah. this weight no matter what. Yeah. I'll be committed to that. And those days are gone now. I've learned my lesson. Mm-hmm. And I try and encourage people to sort of view that and self-regulate it the same way. Yeah, and they have to have a certain level of experience with whatever training they're doing to be able to self-regulate. Otherwise, that you're playing darts in the dark. Like you're just not going to hit that bullseye. Um, but as long as you've got that, you know, that reasonable background and understanding when to push a little bit and when to when to hold back, you can usually self-regulate fairly well. The problem. The biggest issue that you're going to see with that is people who find it really hard to motivate themselves. They'll find any excuse to to have that rest day or to take an extra rest day or to not push hard in the gym. They're the ones who don't usually get very good results because they're, they're just not intrinsically driven. They rely and that that's the kind of individual who needs a coach if they want to. If they want to have any sort of level of performance, they have to have a coach because they will not motivate themselves. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can you can change things around all you like. You can still get results from that. Like, was it two weeks ago? I was trying to do. I've been doing uh, ten sets of ten sets of three back squats and trying to increase that weight every week for eight weeks or so now, nine weeks. Last week or the week before, my lower back was feeling really fatigued and it wasn't from lifting. I don't know what it was actually from. I think I slept on a crappy mattress or something. And the first rep of every set felt really good, even the warm-up sets. And then the second rep felt really crappy. Third rep felt really bad. And I got up to, I think it was 160 or something. And I was like, I can't do it. I'm not doing triples. I'm just going to switch to singles because they feel good. It doesn't mean that I had to have a rest day. I could still train and I could still train heavy and I could still train back squats, pretty much everything that I wanted. I'm just not doing triples now. I'm doing singles. So I don't fatigue my lower back anymore and I feel fine. There's no danger in that. You can still manage that sort of thing. But that that comes with a little bit more experience again. So you can just adjust the, the exercise selection a little bit. Again, I do that with members all the time in the gym. If they're feeling if they're feeling really sore um, or their shoulder hurts or their knee hurts, whatever it is, okay, we'll change that. You're still going to be doing the same movement pattern usually. Um, and then you can just do it another way. Just at a lower intensity or a slight variation. Or add in tempo work or pauses or a uh, different loading pattern. There's heaps of different ways that you can do it, but it's all it's all realistically the same thing. It's just adjusting, adjusting the volume. Yeah. I think in reality, everyone should be doing something in terms of health and fitness every single day. They should yep. be moving, whether they're yep. prioritizing, whether it's going for a walk simply or doing some form of resistance training or any sort of sport. Mm-hmm. But so many people go, it becomes a chore. And I had this discussion with someone recently about changing your identity to someone that actually embodies and identifies as someone who is health conscious mm-hmm. and does things that they enjoy because that's who they are mm-hmm. as opposed to I have to eat this particular meal mm-hmm. I have to go to the gym today because that's often short lived and their results are temporary at best but Absolutely. when they make that shift it just becomes part of who they are when it comes to training yeah I think that starts with the way that you talk to yourself too instead of thinking I have to eat this or I have to do this I get to do this like I get to show what my body is capable of I get to you know eat as much food as I like and not not be obese because of the amount of work that I'm doing in the gym. You know, there's it's a it's a luxury to be able to do those sorts of things. It's not, you, you can't look at it as a, I mean, it is a necessity to be healthy and fit, but I also look at it as a, as a luxury that I want to be able to do all the time as well. So why wouldn't I indulge in that? It's like an indulgence. It's, it's not a, it's not punishment, but too many people look at diet, a diet in particular, a diet and exercise as a punishment or they'll punish themselves for doing something that they don't think is the best thing for them for either of those two things 
when realistically like give yourself a break it's fine to have a bit of ice cream every now and then yeah. have that chocolate cake at that party otherwise what's the point you're not living you know go go out for a run if you if you want to run go and run if you don't want to run go and walk the dog go and you know go and play on a playground go and swim in the ocean there's a thousand and one different things that you can do pick what you want to do and i think the people who who really don't like doing those sorts of things are generally speaking the people who have let themselves go to the point where that becomes difficult mm. because we don't like doing difficult things which is fine so pick something that's a little bit easier that can get you closer to that and then just build on it day after day after day it's it's that um uh, what's the term um progressive overload yeah it's just a different way of doing it it doesn't have to be in the gym you can go for a walk before you run it's the same thing yeah so you're just developing those positive habits and just mm. I guess changing your identity and you become someone that does those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Change your identity to the person who, who thinks I, I can do this and I get to do this rather than I have to. Things become way easier that way. Ways. And you love your life way more. So you mentioned having a coach. I think that accountability aspect as well as the education is so important. It's someone to provide them with a map and act as their guide as they move along. Yeah. A lot of people out there, what do you think they need to go through to get to that point where they actually are going to prioritize their health and fitness? Where they're going to, what's that point where they decide something needs to be done? Do you think it's after they've neglected themselves for an extended period of time and they realize that, you know, yeah. something has to be done now? I think there's a, there's a tipping point that people reach when they, they there's a, a light bulb that goes off and they go, oh, I need to change this now. And I think from what I've experienced so far, I've never been at that point, luckily, from the people that I know and friends and family, I think it usually takes a, a shock, which is never a good thing. You know, you want to stay away from those as much as possible. And it's usually a health shock. Um, you know, injuries, major injuries can be that, but it's pretty rare. Like if you've got a major inju- injury, usually you're pushing the buck a fair bit and you're a fairly decent athlete and you don't look at that as I need to change things up. It's usually... I need to, or it's not usually I've done something really stupid here. I've let myself go. It's usually I need to adjust the way I'm doing things and I need to rehab and get myself back there because that's a positive mindset. It's usually a sickness thing. So they get, you know, they get diagnosed with type two diabetes or something Mm. like that. Or their doctor just looks at them straight in the eye and says, you need to lose 30 kilos straight away. Um, You know, I think it's those, those rude awakenings that, that people really shouldn't have to go through. It's a shame that it has to get to that point. It, it is, it is. But I, I don't know a way around that because it's it's very shamed or it's, it's looked down upon to be talking to your friends about losing weight and things like that a lot of the time. I mean, I've got most or nearly all of my friends, we're just brutally honest with each other. And it's great for that reason because you can just say what you think and knowing that it's coming from a, a good place, like we're not trying to be rude to each other or anything like that. But if I tell one of my friends, you need to lose some weight, they know that it's coming from a good place. I actually care about them enough to say that and putting my neck on the chopping block, prepared that they might come back at me for something. But I think those conversations probably should be a little bit more, a little bit more common. Um, even if you go about it in a, in a different way, like, you know, let's go for a walk, let's go and do something. Let's go and join a footy club. Let's go and join a basketball club, anything like that. Just encouragement um, rather than having the doctor sit in front of you telling you need to lose X amount of kilos. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's better coming from a friend that cares about you as opposed to getting to that point. I think a lot of people just don't say anything and they know there's a problem, whether it be that they're they're gaining weight or they're not being active or their health is suffering or they're developing an addiction or something and people just don't mention anything. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Yep. I mean, through the through the first lockdown, I lost a lot of weight because I couldn't train. I was very, very down in the dumps. I was very depressed. Sorry to cut you off, mate. Right. We are about to wrap it up. I just want to give a quick plug. If people want to actually meet you and come and train with you and learn about strength and conditioning, where can they find you? Uh, 27 New Street in Frankston is where the gym and the clinic is. I've got the clinic up the back, the gym in the front. Um, and you can find all of the social media on Facebook and Instagram um, for Peninsula Strength and Performance and Muscle Mechanics Myotherapy. Mate, I would definitely have you back on the show again. It's a shame we had to wrap it up. I feel like we've got to talk for another couple of hours. Absolutely. So I'd love to have you back. Done. That'd be great. No worries, Leighton. Thank Thanks you very, very much. much. Hi, this is Matt Joe Gow, and you're listening to Radio Karam, which is local community internet radio. And uh, we were having a chat about community radio earlier and how important it is to Melbourne, how important it is to the scene here, the music scene, but also the wider community. So check out Radio Karam, tune in. Come on, Freddy's Kitchen in Station Street for a coffee. And something nice to eat. Yeah, the, yeah, the pizzas are great. In fact, all the food rates down at Freddy's. Caram. Caram in Station Street. Come on, come on, come on. Down to Freddy's now. Come on, come on, come on. Down to Freddy's now. It's a pizza. It's a mystic pizza.